If you turn to page 1093 in the Pew Bibles, we'll be reading about the events we've just been singing. In Acts chapter 2, page 1093, we're going to read verses 1 through to 8. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And we pray that God will give us understanding of this reading from his word. Now, Matthew, come on away up uh, to, uh, to the uh, pulpit. Um, some weeks ago, some months ago, uh, I was at the uh, 60th uh, celebration of Operation Mobilization and the Waterfront, and what a great evening that was. And the main speaker at that was uh, the very person who is coming up our pulpit steps at this very minute, uh, Matthew Skirton. And uh, Matthew is the... Uh, UK National Director from Operation Mobilization. And uh, Matthew, you live south of uh, Liverpool. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. You you are from the south of England, but you live now in Liverpool, but you also have lived in other exciting parts of the world. Yes, well, good good morning, everyone. It's a great privilege to to be with you. Um, That's right, I grew up in the south of England, near Bournemouth, Uh, went off to university, spent the next 20 or 25 years uh, in Eastern Europe serving with OM and just moved back to the UK a couple of years ago, just living south of Liverpool. And where in Eastern Europe were you? Uh, In the country of Moldova, and I understand there's quite some links with Moldova at this church. Of course, Ruth Moore was with us uh, there for a year or so. I just knew when I heard you speak about Moldova that the people here would be hugely interested in that. Matthew, just tell us a little about your family. Well, I have a wife, Helen. Uh, we met at university. She was very instrumental in, in my call into mission work. And uh, we have five children who all grew up with us on the mission field and are now back with us, obviously, in, in the UK. Matthew, it is a joy to welcome you to Bloomfield. Thank, Thank you. you for coming over from England just to be here with us this morning. You flew over this morning. Yeah, it's so a, we are really, yeah. really thrilled that you're here and hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, we've already read from Acts chapter 2, and uh, may I invite you now to uh, read to us from the book of Genesis, which is a parallel passage. 
Yeah, our other text uh, for this morning is Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to read the first nine verses together. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Shall we pray together? Lord, it is our desire that the whole world would see and know you in the way that we can know you and worship you this morning. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And Lord, we pray that once again this morning we would hear from you, not just hear from you, but meet with you in your word. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, that we truly would draw closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> well, again, it really is <clears throat> a privilege for me, and uh, thank you for the invitation to be able to be with you this morning. As I mentioned earlier, most of my missions experience has been in Eastern Europe, and I was thrilled to hear of the links that your church have had and, and continue to have with Moldova. We know Cornell and Leila, uh, the pastor at uh, Golgotha Church in Kishino very well, and I was thrilled to see his picture up on, a, up on a wall in the office just before the service. Now this morning, of course, it is Pentecost Sunday, and whilst we have read from Acts chapter 2, uh, I also read from Genesis chapter 11, a rather, a rather strange text, a rather strange story of <clears throat> what was happening in ancient times some 600 years after the flood at the time of Noah. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 11, we read about the Shemites, the Hamites, and the Jephthites, who are the descendants of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And 600 years after that flood, we read in chapter 10 of Genesis how the nations, the peoples of the earth have multiplied. There are significant numbers of people. <clears throat> and yet we come in verse 1, and we read verse 1 of Genesis 11, the whole world has one language, a common speech, 
and the people are moving eastwards. They're migrating. And they find a plain in Shinar, and they say, let's settle in this plain. They have one language, they have a common speech, but they want to settle in one place. And what we see in verses 3 and 4 is their reason, the heart behind this desire to settle. You see, in verse 4 we read, the people said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And I've been reflecting a little bit on that comment. The desire that these people have to settle, to be together, so that they can make a name for themselves. Now for me and my family, the last couple of years have been a significant time of transition. We grew up as a family 20 years or so in Moldova, and we've moved to the United Kingdom about two and a half years ago. And my children especially are having to adapt. They've never known life in the UK. They're having to adapt and learn all sorts of new things. One of the things is British television. And one of the shows which I'm sure you're familiar with here in Northern Ireland as well is this show Britain's Got Talent. It is quite an extraordinary and quite a disturbing program at times. You see, for those, I'm sure you're familiar with it, it was something fairly new for me in the last couple of years. My kids love it. You see, you get these people who come onto the, uh, the, this TV show and they are good musicians or they're singers or they're dancers or they have a skill or they think they have a skill and they, they, they are judged by a panel and then they can progress in the competition. We, we all know this idea. But why am I mentioning that? It seems to me that so many of these people, they just want to make it, to be famous. They, they want to make a name for themselves. And of course that is exactly what the people all those years ago around the time of the Tower of Babel said. We want to build this tower, we want to accomplish something so that we can be famous, so that we can be known. We will be famous, we can do it, we can accomplish it, and we will do it on our own. In fact, it even says they chose to not use natural stone, but man-made bricks. They didn't need God's natural stone. They were going to even build the bricks themselves to build this tower, to build this city. We will do it on our own. We don't need God. We will make a name for ourselves. And everybody was involved in this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All wanting this independence from God, all wanting to make a name for themselves. And as I read about the Tower of Babel, I can't help but think back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humankind, when God says to Adam and Eve in the garden, you can live in relationship with me, you can rejoice in, in this wonderful relationship, this beautiful creation. Eat from anything that you see, only do not eat 
from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. And Adam and Eve live in this perfect relationship with God, and then Satan appears. And what does Satan say to them? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the fruit of that tree? Ah, you know. If you eat from that tree, God knows that you will become like him. The lie from the enemy from the very beginning, you can be like God. You can be at the center of the universe. You can make a name for yourself. You can be famous. You don't need to obey God, if God even exists. You can live as you like. You can do whatever you like. You can go it alone. You can live a life that is independent from God. This, it seems, is what is in the heart of the people at the time of Babel. Of course, it's an attitude we see so prevalent in our society, in our country today. This desire to build our own life, to build our own future, to go it alone. I came across, well, in recent times, I've often heard this poem that's going to appear on the screen. It's a poem by someone called William Ernest Henley from the late uh, 19th century. This, this fellow, William Henley, he had a difficult life. Uh, contracted tuberculosis at the age of 12, had to have a leg amputated. He suffered a great deal in his life. And he wrote this poem, which seems to have become very popular. I, I've, I've come across a lot of people in a lot of contexts who quote this poem. They love this poem. I find it a little bit disturbing. If you look, he speaks of, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And then he goes on to the very well-known part. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Have you come across this poem? Different people quoting it in different contexts and seems to be quite popular. And yet, just listen to what this, this man is saying. I am the master of my fate. I am in control. I am the captain of my soul. I am the one in charge. I don't need God. I can build my own life. I am in control. Again, this poem seems to reflect the, the heart of those people at the time of the Tower of Babel. And in our family, we've, we've kind of come across very interesting dynamics as our children grow. Our, our youngest is now 10 years old, our oldest is 17. And it's been interesting to watch the dynamic between the boys and the girls. I grew up with a brother, and my, I, I knew what it was like to be a younger brother. Did anyone here grow up with an older sister? A few, a few hands I see. An old, you know, I didn't realize how difficult it was for little boys with an older sister until I see the dynamic in my family. Our little boy, James, was about six years old. And I can remember once his older sister told him what to do. Hey, James, you shouldn't do that. Put that over there. Come and help me in the kitchen, whatever it was. And James, this little six-year-old, turns to his sister and he says, Lydia, you be quiet. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> Mum is. 
<laughs> You're not the boss of me, mum is. And I just, as I was reading and studying about the people at the time of Babylon, saying, we want to be in control. I, I, I remember back to little James saying, you're not the boss. I recognize who the boss is. Of course, he wasn't saying God is the boss. Mum is the boss. Why do I say this? Firstly, I see this problem for the people at the time of the Tower of Babel, saying we want to be in control of our own destiny. We don't want God to be our boss. We're in control. We don't trust God. We're going to build this place of worship. We're going to build it with our own hands. We're going to be in control of what happens to us. We move on further in verse 4. They give a further reason in the second part of the verse. They say we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be in control. And then they say, and we're building this city, this tower, so that we will not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, that's interesting. Why, why are they afraid of being scattered over the face of the whole earth? We only have to dig back uh, a few chapters through Scripture, and we read that time and again, God actually speaks to the people, his creation, and he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He says it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, and then again in verse 28. Again, after the flood in Genesis 8, verse 17, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, that the whole earth might know the glory of God. That you as human beings, the pinnacle of my creation, would reflect the glory of God in the whole world. God repeats it in Genesis chapter 1, twice, in Genesis 8, in Genesis 9, again to Noah and his sons. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, bring glory to God. And yet we have, 600 years later, the people, the descendants of the sons of Noah are saying, we don't want to fill the whole earth, we don't want to be scattered, we want to stay together. We don't want to obey God. Their refusal to disperse was an act of defiance against God. We don't want to go and make God known in the whole world. We want to stay together. We want to build our own future. We want to be in control. You see, I, I understand this as the people saying we have got rid of God. We have kicked God out of our lives. We want to be in control. We will be safer together. We will trust in our own protection, not in God. We will choose our own destiny. We will make our own plans. Maybe like so many today, caught up in that celebrity culture, a desire to be famous, a desire to make a name for themselves chasing after the distractions of wealth, forgetting about the priority in life, to know God, to live in relationship with God, to reflect his glory and to make him known in the whole world. You see how perhaps this text 
is so relevant for us today because perhaps it resonates with much of the situation and the problems we see in society around us. If we go to the next slide, we've put some, some words up on here, which I think seems to describe the, the attitude of the people at the time of Babel, but perhaps also many people in the world today, this false security, an independent spirit, a tolerance, a self-glorification, a desire for recognition and fame, disobeying God, seeking after wealth. I will build my kingdom. It's all about my plans. Idolatry, fear, and under, underlying all of that, this desire of saying, I will build, I will be in control. I, again, as I dig into this text, I see this people who are desperate to stay connected. We want to be together. That's what they're saying, isn't it? And I only had to travel from the airport today and just seeing people who were desperate to be connected. You know, so many people had these headphones on and they were engrossed in their smartphone and they were connected, <laughs> fully connected, but totally oblivious to anything that was going on around them. Connected, yet disconnected. <laughs> the people at the time of the Tower of Babel desiring to be connected with each other, but they'd become disconnected to God. And so many of us today, we can be connected, can't we? To the internet, connected to all sorts of good things and not so good things. And yet, maybe sometimes our priorities are challenged when we realize not just our connection through Wi-Fi, our connection through social media with each other, but we think of the really important connection. How's my relationship with God? How is that a priority for me in my life? I can get up in the morning and I have my Bible in one hand and I can have my iPad in the other and I have a decision to make every single morning. It's so easy to go on and, oh, who's written an email to me and, and I can get involved in some of my emails and I need to check the football scores and I need to check the news. and <clears throat> Well, none of that can necessarily be bad. But what is my priority? I can be connected and yet so easily disconnected from the Lord. And that is the problem at the time of the Tower of Babel. People wanting to be connected, but they forgot about God. He has designed us to know him and live in relationship with him. He invites us to come to him and experience forgiveness of sins to experience his love and his joy and his acceptance and his security as we're teaching the children to not be afraid because he is with us. But are we with him? It's so wonderful when we dwell with him and we make our relationship with him the central thing in our lives. But there's so many things, aren't there, which draw us away from knowing and living in relationship with him. Well, this was the problem at the time of the Tower of Babel. And then in verse 5, we see what God does. We read these words that have stuck with me. But the Lord came down to see. 
And I just pause there and think, that's the God we have, isn't it? We cannot reach God through our religiosity. And so he comes to us. He sends his son Jesus, for God so loved the world. What did he do? That he sent his one and only son. God comes to us to save us, to forgive us, to transform us, to take us to be with him for eternity. He doesn't want us settling for second best at Babel. He doesn't want us trying to build our lives on our own foundation. He doesn't want us trying to make a name for ourselves. He doesn't want us settling and becoming consumed by materialism. He doesn't want us pursuing the comforts and wealth that the world has to offer primarily. He doesn't want us replacing his life with the false life that the world has to offer. He doesn't want us living a life of confusion. That's what Babel means. He doesn't want us dwelling there. A life of confusion and frustration. He wants us to experience his fullness of life that is found only in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Babel forces me to stop and examine my life. It forces me to ask the question that comes on the screen, what am I living my life for? What are you living your life for? What are the priorities? I'm challenged about how I am building my life. I'm also challenged about not settling, not settling on that plane, not trying to build my own tower, my own future. Not settling, but being willing to go and reflect his glory to the whole world. And that's what we remember at Pentecost. Of course, this is Pentecost Sunday, and we read that other text, of course, in Acts chapter 2. We read about the Holy Spirit, God sending his Holy Spirit on the disciples, the disciples who had been with Jesus for three years or so. They had heard his teaching. They had spent time with him. They were living closely to him. They had seen how he was crucified. They had met the risen Lord Jesus. They knew that he was alive. They'd seen him ascended into heaven. And he had told them to wait. Acts 1.8, you will be my, uh, my, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. But first you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And they wait, and then this extraordinary picture, God pouring his Holy Spirit upon those early disciples. And what I see happening here at Pentecost is basically the reverse of what happened at the Tower of Babel. You see, at the Tower of Babel, the people are living in fear of their enemies, fear of being separated. And yet we have the disciples emboldened through the power of the Holy Spirit, standing up and Peter preaching to thousands, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We have at Babel the confusion of the languages, and at Pentecost, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples 
and an ability to communicate in all sorts of languages so that everyone could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. At Babel, we have these people who are seeking to make a name for themselves. And at Pentecost, we have Peter and the others proclaiming the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which we will be saved, says Peter. And that truth is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. It is only through the person of Jesus Christ that we would have our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored. The reverse of Babel is happening. At Babel, there's this compromise in worship, materialism. We will build for ourselves. And at Pentecost, immediately after the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the the gospel of Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 2, they're meeting constantly in prayer. They're sharing their possessions. They're giving to the poor. They're recognizing the needs of those around them. At Babel, the people say, we want to settle, we want to stay together. It's comfortable here. We have a comfortable place of worship which we've created for ourselves. And at Pentecost, we have God through his Holy Spirit sending out the disciples to the ends of the earth. Pentecost being the reversal of what happened at Babel. The equipping of the followers of Jesus to go and take that gospel, that good news to the furthest furthest corners of the world. That's, of course, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, those verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's the promise. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus himself promising to be with his followers as we obey his command to go and to reflect the glory of God to the ends of the earth. This was the plan from the beginning. From Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, multiply, go, reflect my glory that the ends of the earth may know. That's what God said to his people and yet... They decided to stay, to build for themselves, to take control of their own destiny. So many similarities, I believe, with how so many of us are living our lives today. The problem is, when we reflect upon this great commission of the Lord Jesus to go to the ends of the earth, the problem is the reality of the situation in our world today. If we go to the next slide, we see that we have a world population of, we've just about touched 7.6 billion people sharing our planet. And still, 2,000 years after God sending his Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church, we still have something in the region of 40%, 2.8 billion, who still have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, even once. It does depend a little bit on your uh, understanding of the word unreached. And actually, after the service in the Life Builders um, time, I'll seek to unpack a little bit more this reality 
But for now, it's just to say that there are so many people who do not have a Christian church in their community. They they don't have an opportunity, the possibility to hear the good news of Jesus in their own language, in their own context. There is no hope for them, humanly speaking. And we recognize that we have been entrusted with the commission to go to make disciples of all peoples. And quite frankly, I believe it's unacceptable that 2,000 years later, there are still 40% of the planet who have never, ever heard, even once. We'll move on as I finish and close. As OM, and again, I'll share a little bit after the service more about how we, we believe that God has called OM to partner with churches around the world to see, especially the least reached peoples, have the opportunity of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. But we'll move on to the final screen as I just try and bring a summary to what I've been trying to share this morning. We've been talking about the people dwelling at the time of the Tower of Babel. We're remembering today the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And as we, as Christians today, live in relationship with God, as we recognize afresh the gift of the Holy Spirit, so we are, we cannot but be challenged by the way that we are living our lives. If we go to that final slide with the two pictures, please. You see, I don't want to live at Babel anymore. I don't want to live in confusion, in frustration. I don't want to try and build my own life, my own future. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I know who I want to build my future. I know the one who I want to lead me and guide me and provide for me and protect me. I don't want to try and take my future into my hands. I want to give my future into his hands. I don't want materialism to define who I am. I don't want to settle for what the world has to offer. I don't want to just play at being a Christian. Just tick the box on a Sunday morning. I don't want to live for myself alone. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to experience his life at work in me, through me, leading, guiding, protecting, providing. I don't want to try and make a name for myself. I want to make his name known. I don't want to dwell at Babel. I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to settle in one place. Lord, would you call me to go and make you known to the ends of the earth? I'm willing to be scattered, to go out and share my faith. I want to be filled by God. I want to be used by God. I want to be sent by God to make his glory known to the ends of the earth. Friends, Let's not settle at Babel. That's what Pentecost teaches us. 
We are called to a different way of life. Living in relationship with God. Recognizing the reality of life in the Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Seeking to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. May God help us and bless us as we turn our back upon Babel and we embrace the new life that he has called us to. Amen. And we pray. Lord, your word encourages us to make requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for everyone, for kings and those in authority. And so we thank you for the Queen and for the lead which she has given our nation over more than 60 years. We pray for her and for her family. And today we pray specifically for the newly named Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan. As they begin married life together, may they follow the best traditions of both their families and enable them by your spirit to show to all that righteousness really does exalt a nation while sin is a disgrace to any people. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us this morning through Matthew of the great reversal Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit, the great reversal that gives to the confusion of Babel and the Babel of people without God. We thank you for those who seek to reach others in obedience to your great commission. We pray for Helen Little, who will soon be home for a short break from her mission work in Japan. Help her, Lord, in the few weeks when she is here to be able to rest and relax and recharge her batteries Spiritually, Lord, and in every other way, refresh her, we pray. Thank you for what uh, Matthew has shared with us and what he will share at 
life builders. And we pray specifically for those who work with Operation Mobilization. For the OM ship presently working with local churches in Mexico. We ask you, as he has clearly pointed out, that you will raise up workers around the world. Among the reached who have not responded, the least reached, and the unreached. 2.8 billion of the latter in our planet. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers and are challenged ourselves to see our great our place in this great and wonderful opportunity, privilege, and challenge to make Jesus known. We pray, Lord, for OM's new uh, focus on the least reached in the UK. Those people who now live just round the corner from us. Somalis, Turks, Pakistanis, Syrians. We pray for those who worship with us. What a delight they bring to us. And we mention Sinait and Saliana. May Sinait know a full recovery after surgery, and may they both have success with their visas. We pray for Jin and for her family. Help us and all local churches to share in the mission to the ends of the earth and not forget those without Christ just round the corner. And in the silence, we bring our own needs, concerns, and thanksgivings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.